This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, folks, once again, you have tuned in to the DLR Cast, the only podcast by and for fans of the mighty, the Diamond One. David Lee Roth, as always, I'm Steve, along with my good friend, the nearly Diamond One, the dangerous one, the debonair one, the dutiful one, as always, Darren Paltrowitz. Darren, how are you, my friend? Uh, I, I think you left out the doubtful one, the doubt oh, one. Just I'm filled with doubt all the all the time. <laughs> all the D's there, but Steve, great to connect, and it's great to be taping again within the matter of days of the last episode, and not because Dave has put out another new old recording, which could happen in the time we record this. Who the hell knows? Although, as <laughs> we said before, and as I have gone on a myriad of uh, many rants. Uh, I'd rather hear something new than yet another Van Halen cover song. Yeah, I I am not going to rush us to do another episode if he puts out a re-recording in the studio of another song. I need that plus one news story or else we, we I can't think of more synonyms to use about. Oh, you know, it's good to see he's doing something. <laughs> And we can we could have a litany of things of things he can't we would love for him to be doing and hasn't been doing. And I've been given that a lot of thought myself because I've been thinking about different artists who and we'll get to the news in a minute because we do have some new news. But just to go off on, a, on another tangent here, as far as Dave present day, I've been thinking a lot about artists that are close to his age. For instance, the last week or so, I have been complete the last virtually almost the last week just came out last friday i have been cranking up the new ep from a rocker who is in his late 60s who also plays with a hot shot very flashy guitarist and to my mind sounds as good as he ever has and his music is compelling it's fun it's rocking it's upbeat and i think it's just excellent that is the one and only billy idol yes. he just put out an ep then today news dropped of Totally different artist, but same age age range. Uh, 72-year-old Bruce Springsteen just announced he's putting out a record all of soul and gospel covers. Now, yeah, I would call that derivative if he put this out 10 or 15 years ago when he seemed like everybody was doing various weird cover things. Remember Rod Stewart with the Great American Songbook? If you ever asked the question, what, Rod, what does Rod sound like without doing anything even remotely close to rock and roll to cash in? Well, visit three, visit three of those American Songbook um, albums but yeah. the Bruce stuff is I got to think of this today and we've talked about this before I would love to see certainly I mentioned from a live perspective but I've thought about this too as far as a record and that is I'd love to see Dave stylistically he kind of went there with the Diamond Dave record which nobody knew about and nobody cared and uh, unfortunately it was on an independent label nobody heard ever heard of or heard from again but I would love to see Dave with some real players and a producer and an A&R person go in and at Henson Studios and cut a fun soul record, a covers record with like Bruce did with songs that that uh, aren't all 100 percent familiar. Dave's got the pedigree and the background and certainly the record collection to go back. I mean, this is a guy who did just a gigolo. Right. Yeah. And we know how much he loves soul music and. And he did living in the USA. It doesn't have to be anywhere near as I mean, it, there could be some uh, some non-classic, non non-hit records in there that really float his boat. But to, stylistically, 
do something like that with the appropriate PR campaign. If you could keep them focused on something for more than 30 seconds that go, yeah, this is from the heart. This is a lot of fun. This is stuff that I cut my teeth on. I love this. And we cut this in two weeks time with a hotshot bunch of players and there you go. And stylistically, he's come close to doing like this. I was just thinking about the the Diamond Dave record. Well, earlier before we got on, I was listening to uh, a, listening to a YouTube concert from '94 from a radio show where he played about six songs from a record that was a stylistic departure on most songs, and that was Your Filthy Little Mouth. And no, he did not do No Big Ting, but he <laughs> did do You Just Never Know. And some of those, and he did Experience, which is a bluesy track on that. Mm-hmm. And these are the things we wish Dave were doing. I mentioned Billy Idol because it's a it's a totally rocking EP. His last couple of records have been fantastic to my mind. And here's a guy who's also, by the way, 67 and on tour. And we had a, we had a little e- some emails going back and forth the other day with our good friend Eric Senich from the Van Halen News Desk. And I think you had mentioned it, and I had mentioned it too. It's like an easy tour for him would be him, Alice Cooper, somebody else. Maybe Billy Idol. Maybe it's Billy Idol, him and somebody else some, from who rocks, who's in yeah. the 80s, where 20 years ago you go, that doesn't make sense to put together. Well, now it does, right? It does. It and does. Three, I, I, three acts that can't fill arenas on their own. Exactly. And so these are all, This is that's the big soapbox. I'll take a breath. Uh, all the things I wish Dave would be doing and could possibly do be doing, and has certainly has the ability to. And if the song, last songs are any indication, can has the ability, can has the chops and the vocal the vocal range to do this stuff. Still, you make an excellent point right there, which is in looking at a lot of his peers. You know, give or take five or ten years in the age thing, whether they're a little younger, a little older. Some people are still doing the rock thing. Some people are reinventing themselves. Some people are just on residency turf. Whatever it is, there's room for all of them. And then in terms of the package tours, which I definitely went overboard with dreaming up lineups for you and Eric on that that private thread right there. But somebody like Alice Cooper is another artist like Dave who used to do arenas that maybe can't do in an arena now. He could do a theater. Not alone. Right. Right. And... You put him with an Alice Cooper and a country artist or, okay, maybe not Alice Cooper. It's Cheap Trick Dave and an 80s pop star of some sort or a 90s band. I'm not saying Everclear. That was the first one that came to mind. Lit. Okay, Lit would be perfect for that kind of show. They grew up worshiping Van Halen, and it's that same melodic kind of a thing. There's all these combinations that you could put together where one plus one equals five. And by that, I mean, you could bring 2,500 people, you could bring 2,500 people, and you could bring 2,500. You put the three of them together and there's 11,000 people there if it's marketed correctly. And I say all this because there's some concerts I've been looking at lately uh, going to. For example, I think I'm going to go in a week or two to see Judas Priest. And I looked at the seating capacity of the arena and let's just say the stage is pushed up. A lot of the sections are already tarped off. And that's because Judas Priest on its own, unfortunately, has come back too many times. They are not an arena headlining act. But if you made it Judas Priest, Scorpions, and Alice Cooper, Cheap Trigger, right. something like sure. that, 
15,000 people if it's marketed correctly. You can get, Without you, that, it's just 3,500, 4,000 people at best. And I don't think you have to kill your ego because you could still say, hey, you know, my 60s, early 70s, I'm playing arenas. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's the thing. There is, there's, I think there's good business to be had out there, and I think there could be demand. And with the right acts, in particular Dave's case, who – Outside of the Kiss shows, he hadn't done anything since Van Halen, and now we're going on three years where he hasn't done anything at all, save for a concert down in Mexico for some very rich playboy. <laughs> exactly. So, but, oh, sorry, go ahead. But that role, the thing that we're going to get to here, before we get to the, the Sammy Hagar article. I was going to segue into that. Sure, hit, hit me. Before we get that. What we were talking about in that last episode is if Dave doesn't come out on that Taylor Hawkins second show that's in L.A., it's over. And the groundhog did not appear uh, <laughs> and show his shadow or likeness. My ultimate wish was just too much to ask. And I know I knew I would have bet the house on my ultimate wish not coming true. Right. Dave up there with Wolfie and or Michael, but Dave up there, period, alone. I didn't think he was going to make an appearance, but Dave and Wolfie up there doing Panama with the Food Fighters backing you up. Done deal. Easy. Get a car, pick them up in a, pick them up in a, in a limo in Pasadena. You'll be over there in an, in an hour, right? I mean, yeah. makes too much sense. The, these are it did, Well, anyway, it did not happen, but Wolfie was there doing Panama and was it Hot for Teacher? Yes. Uh, with Justin Hawkins, like in Wembley. And Josh Freese on drums and Dave yes. on bass and sounded fantastic. Absolutely. As expected. And there is zero chance in this world they did not invite Roth to do this gig. I, I would, there's no reason why they didn't invite Roth for this, given that Taylor Hawkins is one favorite band or one of his favorite bands was. Wait, are you saying there's zero chance they didn't or did invite him? There's zero chance they did not invite him. He was invited. I don't. I. I. I don't think he was. Why wouldn't they invite him? Considering that he played at Grohl's birthday party, I'm not saying he accepted it. I'm just saying they invited him to do this. I think maybe there was the idea, but they just said, "I. I. I don't think he was on top of mind." If they were going to make everything Van Halen centric with. The introduction that they gave before Wolfie came on with Justin Hawkins was about how Taylor wore the 51, I'm sorry, wore the Frankenstein. Yeah, I know. I get all that. It would have made too much sense. I mean, for God's sakes, you had two people from Def Leppard. You had two people from Motley Crue. Why not have two people from Van Halen? Yep. Uh, you had members of Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin. Exactly. Yeah. They're peace uh their grudges aside and peacefully perform at that show except the diamond one and and let's face it let's say they didn't invite him if he reached out and said i'd like to do this would they say no to him the answer is no so we can only speculate what's what's the quote that you use about we we don't pontificate we speculate we what is it we, we don't educate we speculate yeah Nothing but yeah. So it didn't happen. Oh, well. Next one. Uh, the Hagar article. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, it, well, I'll tell you. My, what was, here's my first thought after reading that whole article. Um, and let me, let me couch this by saying that 
I don't have any doubt that everything Sammy said in this Rolling Stone article is the truth. It Wait, was one is the truth. In a lot of, I think most of oh. I, I, I'd love to hear you pick it apart, but let's assume it is, because at this point, a lot of the things that I am assuming, uh, let's put it this way, a lot of the things that you might tell me aren't true are all things that we have been hearing for a long, long time now, whether it's about the reunion that was about the, uh, whether it was about the Sam and uh, Dave tour back in 2002, or whether it was about the the tribute show that didn't happen. I thought his thoughts were interesting on that. They're all, so they might as well be true because we've been all here. Do you get what I'm saying? We've been hearing this stuff for so long. And my first thought is, and I think those who listen to this podcast can relate to something like this, is that when you're when you're heroes, people you admire, you're you are, if not outwardly, inwardly, mentally trying to defend your heroes and people you legitimately love. And you know what I came to mind after reading all this? I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of trying to figure this out. out. Let's take let's say if it's 80 percent true, I'm tired, which. Yeah. Which maybe I need to go see my therapist and go, look, dude, you're 55 years old, Steve. You're still wondering about what some aging Jewish rocker in Pasadena is doing or not doing. Yeah, but we have a podcast and we make $12 a month in advertising. That's not the point, Steve. But we do this because we love it and we're such huge fans. And it's the same feeling I get when I've over the years when outwardly and inwardly I've had to defend Cheap Trick. Certainly I know Kiss fans go through this. Do you get what I'm saying? There's a there's. It's just, it's. I think it's kind of part and parcel of being such huge fans for essentially our human beings, of course, but humans also being. humans being, which yeah. one of my favorite Van Halen, I always love that song, I'll tell you right now, and I dig the lyrics, which Sammy talks about in the Rolling Stone article. So there's my thought. Yeah. I'm tired. I'm not tired of doing this podcast, but I'm tired of, sometimes I'm just tired of speculating. I'm tired of defending. I'm trying to, tired of figuring this, of just hearing this, the same shit about, the guy I love. Okay, so this article presents a new narrative. And by that, I mean, if we, if I read this article correctly, and tell me if this is what you read, the original tribute tour with Dave was presented, fell apart, and then Irving Azoff presented a Hagar-fronted Van Halen tribute thing for a Vegas residency without ever establishing with Alex that it's okay that Sammy was going to be on board with Michael Anthony. Is that how you read it? Cause that is kind of how I read it, which, okay. I don't want, let's, if that's the truth and let me backtrack a bit, because I think a lot of this is truth, but I also think there's some weird truth in there somewhere, but here's what I don't understand. One, I think Sammy's timeline is all screwed up and yes. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because everybody's timeline is screwed up the last few years. It seems right. I mean, COVID or not, it's like, was that 2019? Was that 2020? When was that? Do you know what I'm saying? Nobody fucking remember. Time is relative at this point, right? Yeah. But I really think his timeline is messed up. What do you say? It happened like, oh, six months ago. No, it didn't. The other thing that makes me wonder is that we're talking now, what, two, three months ago, all this Jason Newstead stuff came out with not a word about Sammy and and all this stuff that came out with Joe Satriani playing chicken foot without Sammy. You mean tell me nobody put a microphone in Sammy's face and asked him about this? Sammy's name was never mentioned. Do you get what I'm saying? So why all of a sudden now is this new narrative, this new story about the reunion that wasn't? Do you get what I'm saying? I, and I and and having said all that, at the very end of it, Sam's idea is exactly what I've been thinking of for a long time too, and that is do one big show, put the money to charity, 
make it a huge, big fucking thing that we can all celebrate. And I yeah. think that's what it's never going to be. But I agree with it. I love I love his thoughts on that. I also love what he thinks about, well, if it's just Joe Satriani, I did that in Chickenfoot. Exactly. Is you don't want to make necessarily do a cover band sort of thing. So Irving Azoff, who I regard as the smartest man in the history of the music business, that doesn't mean uh, he does the nicest things to and for people that he doesn't love. But one of the smartest people, period, presented the idea of a tour where he never said to the drummer, hey, is it cool if this guy you haven't spoken to since 2004 does this with you? Okay. Sam, uh, it's possible. The reason I say that that is possible is because Irving Azoff was managing Guns N' Roses and Axel fired him and took it to court. And Axel's allegation was that Irving was intentionally sabotaging Guns N' Roses' tour so that he could lead to the Axel Slash reunion. That is kind of in line with this. That's why I'm saying that's not the far-fetched part. The far-fetched part is that Sammy has any kind of control over this project. He's the invited special guest hired gun. That's for starters. Because he's not a partner in Van Halen. He, uh, Michael Anthony had to sign away his rights to do the 2004 tour. That was part of the negotiation. So it's, it's not a reunion. It's more like we're doing this and we're hiring you to do this. And my issue with Sammy's accuracy has to do with when he was fired from the band in 1996. His quote was, you just broke up the biggest band in the world. Mm. In 1995, Van Halen opened for Bon Jovi on the European tour. He brings this up at the end there. Their stock was very low. Yes. At the end with Hagar. How many times in this article does Sammy Hagar go, and we sold over 40 million albums with me? That's not true. Well, the only way that that is true is if you're counting the Twister soundtrack and compilations. Otherwise, did Hagar do five albums with Van Halen or six? Did 5150 for Unlawful Carnage? OU812. Yeah, so that's three. Balance is four. Was there another one in there? Right here, right now, live? Right. Okay, so by those statistics... Each of those albums sold an average of 8 million copies. That didn't happen. Okay. And how many times in this article does he say <laughs> over 40 million albums sold? It didn't happen. So Maybe worldwide, given the benefit of the doubt? I'm not sure. If, if that's the case, then why didn't Van Halen tour Europe much with Sammy Hagar? Oh, well, they didn't tour Europe much with Dave, for goodness sake. That's one of the things we've talked about before is that they just... they. They could should have they could have and should have played. I mean, look at Kiss has played for South America. All I mean, you can. There's a lengthy list of uh, uh, places Van Halen never saw, and but should have should have routed every every you know the tour behind every album. In the case of Kiss, they had a world record until some point in the '80s for I think playing 105,000 people at one show, maybe a rock in Rio, and Gene Simmons will gladly tell you that. I watched him tell somebody that in a conversation once when I was interviewing him. There's a waiter from Brazil, and he's like, <laughs> it was at the show where we played to over 105,000 people. 
he he has those statistics. If Van Halen sold that many records in Europe, there would have been tours. Well, I I mean, I think they did very. I think they they certainly sold enough to get to Japan, Australia. I think maybe they just didn't get out to Europe enough in the early days to try to build something there. I mean, not every band in America does great. America is huge over in Europe, but Eddie was so groundbreaking. I gotta believe the first two or three records they could have gone over there, and they did. They played. I know they. Went over to some Scandinavian countries, right? They certainly went to the UK, right? But and you're right, it was not fifty-one fifty, OU eight one two, and for for unlawful carnal knowledge and balance. So four records. So and so they each sold eight million plus copies, according to Sammy Matthew. They all de- they all debuted at number one. Uh, the new Megadeth album debuted at number one. On well, back in the eighties and nineties, it meant something to date yeah. in 95. It's still for balance. It still meant something to debut at number one in the U S you okay. know, what I'm getting at is not in any now, way. Now, when I look at things though, the RIAA says 5150 is six times platinum, 6 million. Oh, you eight one two, four million, four times platinum. So that's, that's 10 million. Yeah. For unlawful carnal knowledge, three, three, uh, three times platinum, three million balance, Three times platinum. So, oh, so that that equals over forty million. You're, you're correct, Steve. Hey, I worked for record companies. All right, you know what the math is like. So, yeah, and those, uh, those are those are shipped, not sold. The RIAA certifications. Oh yeah, it's all shipped. Yeah, absolutely. So usually you could do the logic and you go, okay, well, whatever the U.S. sales are, it's double the rest of the world combined. But that's just not the case. Van Halen is is a North American, Japan band predominantly in terms of where their big markets were. But what I'm not saying all this to cut down Sammy's talent or the great music. I'm cutting it down because this whole article is an anti-Dave thing. And, right now – Andy Green said, Dave can't sing at all right now. And they and there's two embedded videos in there. Ain't talking about love with Dave. And then ain't talking about love with Sammy. Both, you know, relatively recent vintage. And I couldn't even, I didn't even want to listen to the one with Sammy and Michael because I'm such a, you know, Dave fanboy. I couldn't bring myself to do it. But yeah. I mean, what's the point? But if you're going on this, oh, Dave is impossible to work with thing, which sometimes I say things along those lines, then why did Alex bring him back a few different times over the years if he's so impossible to deal with. Why is Alex taking his calls and hanging with him? I think it's not a case of he's impossible to work with. I think it's just that he doesn't air dirty laundry publicly, which is closer to Alex's MO as well. Whereas, as you say, Sammy hardly sees microphones he doesn't like to talk into. Right. And I'll give Dave this for all the dumb pronouncements over the guitar and things that you just leave you scratching your head. Uh, the, you know, the guitar, uh, you know, taking credit for the guitar thing or taking credit for the solos for those weird things, which I, that's, those are all, I have no excuse for those. They're all fucked up. Yeah. I mean, certainly after Eddie died, one statement, that was it. He never takes the bait when this shit happens like this. I mean, he made one small statement about, the 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 trip Eddie tribute that wasn't so I love I like that I give him props for that. But this article where the Rolling Stone writer then picks apart that statement and saying pink, what if it's pink? What if it's Tommy Lee? That kind of thing. That was a joke from Dave. So now you have two people who don't get sarcasm 
or being a wise ass picking apart in actual journalism. And so on the one hand, it's great to see that they got Sammy to open up and they're talking about one of our favorite bands, but the reporting is so irresponsible on every level in this. And it's just another step towards putting Van Halen's legacy into the grave because the way that you're supposed to read this is that Sammy's the good guy. He's ready to work. He's ready, willing, and able. He's giving the fans what they want by playing more Van Halen songs live now than he ever has. And, and of course, but here's the deal. He is working. He's doing a rock record with Ted Templeman. God bless him. He's out there regularly. Now, if Dave can't do it because of health, I get it. Does seem to be the case. Quite yeah. frankly, if he isn't doing it because he just doesn't want to, that's his fucking wish, man. You know, then we'll all be all be kind of frustrated. Yeah. One thing I wasn't sure if, if this is true, when Hagar said in this article that Jason Newstead being part of it was a Dave idea. I, do you believe that one? I don't think Jason Newstead was on Dave's radar. No knock on Jason Newstead, but he doesn't seem to be the bass player who's been out of one of the biggest bands in the world for how many years would end up on, on Dave's radar somehow in 2022 yeah they both or 2021 depending on when this all went around they both worked with bob rock in the 90s because a little ain't enough was produced by bob rock i believe that was the album before the black album for bob rock there's that connection there you know the vancouver scene otherwise i don't see what the newstead newstead is a super private guy in Northern California still, I think. Probably, yeah, San Francisco or something, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah, Dave's never been a Northern California person. Sammy is, on the other hand, a Northern California person when he's not in Mexico. So I don't understand what the Newstead connection would be. You know, Roth has made reference to Metallica over the years in various interviews. Like, when the Kitchen Sink Tour was rumored, he said, you'll see us maybe on the road with Metallica and the Foo Fighters where the Yankees play. So Metallica is on his radar, but Newstead has not been in the band since what ninety nine. Did Jay refresh? Yeah, to refresh my memory, did Newstead ever said how he jammed with Alex and Joe Satriani? How that came to be exactly? I don't remember offhand, other than that they did, and it wasn't the right fit because Newstead didn't want to be seen as cashing in. It's interesting when he gets into it now, because I'm looking at that article and it goes around in different ways. He said Satriani told him about it later after it happened, the jam. And he said, I knew there was talk of it because Irving Azoff had called me. OK, well, did, he said, I want to do a residency in Vegas with you and Mike and Alan, the superstar guitar player. And I said, like who? And he said, Joe Satriani. Well, sat, this was after the jam, I guess. So I get where he's saying where Sammy goes. It's just it just sounds like checking foot with Alex Van Halen instead of Chad Smith. As much as I love Joe, I wasn't much into that. And um, I, he said, I said to Irving, I'm going to call call Joe. When I did, he told me what happened. I said, Jason Newstead, what the fuck is going on here, man? Whose idea is this? This must be a Dave idea. And Irving said it was Dave idea. But wait a minute. He said he called Joe Satriani, said that to Joe Satriani. What did Joe say about that? I said to Irving, I'm going to call Joe. When I did, he told me what happened. And I said, Jason Newstead, what the fuck is going on here, man? Whose idea is this? This must be a Dave idea. 
very rhetorical questions because he's talking to Joe. And then he says, and Irving said it was a Dave idea. He doesn't say, and Joe said it was a Dave idea. And Irving, so he didn't say, and Joe said, Irving, Irving and Dave talk, or, you know, and Joe said, Irving said, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So everything is trying to spin again, Sammy into, I'm willing to work. I'm willing to do this. I've no clue what their problem is with me well yeah you do first is the Cabo Wabo stuff from the early 90s that's part one part two is you spoke horribly about Alex and Eddie throughout your memoir and you didn't get along on that whole tour and then you open up your mouth a couple weeks ago in an interview and said that in your dream you co-wrote a song with Eddie and you're going to give him the publishing yeah and he talks about this that he's that he's Dreams every night. He has other dreams. We know Sammy used to be in the UFOs and all that stuff. Yeah, whatever. I mean, deep down, he's a Northern California boxing hippie, I guess. I don't know. From back in the day, in the early 70s. But check this out. What I what really also stood out to me, and he's right about this. There was a lot of things that stood out to me. But he said, um, you know, it would be the biggest failure Van Halen ever had if they call themselves Van Halen if they didn't have Mikey. Well, they're not going to do that for the tribute. And by the way, they did. He said, if it's just Alex with other guys, that's like what Jason Bonham does with Led Zeppelin. Exactly, right? Bonham goes out there and does it. Kind of, I get what he's saying. And, uh, but here's where it gets me. He said, anyway, I think that Irving boohooed it and Dave went around him and did it anyway. I'm surprised that Alex went that far, but Alex might've just been his methodical self and said, well, let's see what this is like. Let's see how it feels. And Dave went around him and did it anyway. Dave did what? He didn't jam with those guys. He's not calling up Satriani and Newstead and Alex going, hey, guys. Do you get what I'm saying? The story is very, it's weaved in a very, I'm not saying it's not true, but it just doesn't make, it just doesn't make sense. I've got another problem with the article where they're talking about how Hagar the tour that he did with Roth in 2002, how Dave was impossible and it just couldn't make it work. We had an interview early into the DLR cast with Jesse Harms, who played on Eat Him and Smile and then was also Hagar's guy on and off. And he told us that the Roth-Hagar tour was supposed to go for like 18 months and go over to Europe and Asia and all that. And Sammy pulled the plug on the whole thing. That was also told to me off the record by a former tour manager of Dave's from that era. So that's a case where Dave was willing to make this tour work. Sammy wasn't. Okay, well, that could have been a couple things. Who knows? That could have been could have been other other commitments Sammy had or wanted to do after the three month summer tour. Too nice here because Sammy had a record that came out that fall. So he was touring to support that record. Then adding on that, this article talks about how this makeshift wall that they had built backstage to separate. The right. And the like, the, like the Israelis and the Palestinians. It, it's, it's said. It's absolutely garbage. Some of these venues that they were playing backstage, one of the complaints was that whoever was headlining was supposed to have the big dressing room. And on nights, so there were nights where Hagar was closing but Roth's team got there to the venue first and claimed the big dressing room. So, you know, which, which one is it here? Is it that there are these big, big places or these places that have like little walls? I, I don't know what it is. I can't imagine that the PNC Bank Art Center in Jersey, which they played on this tour, you separated them by walls when the backstage is acres big. At the end of the day, when it comes to that tour, it broke my heart that 
Dave wasn't receptive to doing anything. You saw that video on YouTube that was all over the place backstage where Dave wouldn't even open the door. He wouldn't even, I mean, it would have been the coolest thing in the world for him. And and Dave's got, certainly then had the chops to do this stuff. What if they teamed up on Bad Motor Scooter? Are you kidding me? Well, that's the narrative that Sammy's put out over the years along with Michael, that he wanted to do You Really Got Me and why wouldn't it be true? It certainly sounds like something Dave would do. We know he doesn't jump on stage and jam with people, but if there was ever to make a make a, if ever there would be a time to do, it would be something cool like that. But Jesse also told us that Sammy and Dave were working on some kind of a reality show, or in the in the wake of all the success of the Osbournes kind of stuff, they were supposed to do a reality show together in that era. There's so well, much we don't know. <laughs> but it was Hagar who, another person I spoke with last uh, week, just like a fun conversation, geeking out about Raw stuff. He was telling me the stuff that Sammy was saying backstage about Dave on that tour. Uh, the person that Dave was in a relationship with and other things like Sammy was making fun of Dave's hairpiece to anyone that would listen on that tour. Now, I hate to play devil's advocate here, but maybe there's a reason why. That's true. I was just thinking maybe if you're Dave, you go, yeah, I just, I don't like the guy. Fuck him. Yeah. And Sammy, Sammy has said that publicly. Dave has said, I, I just don't like the guy. Did you ever see the article? I think it was maybe from 87 or 88, maybe Spin Magazine, where they asked Dave about Hagar. And he goes, he Hagar's been saying all this bad stuff about me in the press. And you know what favor I did for him? He was asking me for advice way back when about how to get a music video that had a curse into it uncensored or fixed. And he gave hmm. him advice on that. So for all we, all we know, on that 1978 tour that was Journey, Montrose, and Van Halen, maybe Hagar crossed him once or twice. Dave felt threatened early on about how Ted Templeman once had suggested Sammy for the gig. And at that point in time, Dave went, nothing ever do I want to do with this guy unless it's a paycheck attached. And that's it. Yeah, that could be as, as simple as that, as easy and as that. that. We'll never know why. Now, let's get back to let's get back to this Rolling Stone article for a bit, because there's another thing that kind of stood out, stood out to me, too. And it had the... Sammy's asked, why don't you just call up Alex and talk this stuff over? Meaning the tribute. And right before that, Dave, uh, Sammy mentions, as you have very often, look what Dave Grohl just did for Taylor Hawkins. That's one of the greatest events in rock history. Mm-hmm. Indeed, it was. They could have been a great event. They could have done it for Red. You're right. Absolutely. It should It should be like, it, it should, if they, this should happen. It's not, but it would be, in a, it would be great for it to happen. But so right after that, Sam's asked, Sammy's asked, why don't you just call up Alex and talk this stuff over? And Sammy says, well, I've left him many messages, but not for this one. Why not? I've left him many messages. But I always think about Alex. I just dreamt about him two nights ago, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but, but that same article talks about how he didn't have Eddie Van Halen's phone number until when he was very ill. Odds are Alex's phone number changed over time. I'm wondering if this is like the, do you remember the radio guys, Opie and Anthony? Were were they out in Minnesota when you'd moved out there? Oh, 94. I don't think they were. 
I mean, we didn't have much syndication at all. Stern wasn't out here at the time. Imus wasn't out here. I mean, there was no real syndication. Okay, I promise this is relevant or anything. <laughs> kind of thing. They were basically poised to be the Howard Stern air equivalent kind of radio duo. And they got they kept growing the number of markets. And then a couple of bad things happened and they got ridden off and they were on the payroll of Sirius XM. Yeah. Basically not broadcast for a long time. And the two guys, Opie and Anthony, have moved on to different pastures in, in Somerset, except they both hate each other. And they both will openly talk about each other on there all the time. And everyone loves Anthony and nobody likes Opie. <laughs> they were both instrumental in Joe Rogan's early success, you could say. So after Joe Rogan had a special four or five years ago, Opie was complaining on his podcast that how he left this message for Joe Rogan, congratulating him on the special, and Joe Rogan didn't call him back. What a prick. And then Anthony connected with Joe Rogan. He's like, Opie hasn't had my phone number in like eight years. I don't know who he called. <laughs> I'm getting mad. Is Imagine Sammy was just leaving voicemails for Alex four phone numbers ago. Right? That's what it, I think happened. It's interesting because he does say, um, um, he, he does he does mention that <laughs> he said he said I'm thinking about reaching out to Alex. You're pushing me in that direction, meaning the writer, and I'm feeling it because it's time. It's been a couple of years now that I gave up on him. So maybe that's the next clickbaity thing. I tried calling Alex, couldn't get a hold of him or something. No, I ended up calling him. <laughs> and then the follow up here at the end, towards the end of this article, is. Just to clarify a few things, when did Irving Azoff call you with the idea of the Las Vegas residency? I'm trying to remember. It was six months ago or something. It was probably a month before the rehearsals hit the press, which when that hit the press, how long ago were those rehearsals? The timeline, it was months later. Yeah, if, if I had extreme amounts of free time, I would go through all the Michael Anthony interviews where he's asked about when the conference call was, and then he started getting the radio silence. Then write down the dates when Sammy has conflated these to be, and then write down the Josie Satriani thing and see if there's any overlap whatsoever on all this. It's 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 for David Lee Roth forensic files trying to figure all this shit out. They can't even agree when their disagreements happen at this point in time. <laughs> so I I don't come away from this article going, oh, it might happen. Oh, they're going to bury the hatchet. I come away from this going, all these angry rich guys who can't put their minuscule drama aside to do something for Eddie or for the fans. This is a train wreck. And we are sooner going to see a Harry Styles tribute concert than we are an Eddie Van Halen one. Harry Styles is what, like 26? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Every, everyone's going to have a tribute concert. Good merchandise commemorize, uh, commemorating that tribute concert. A good tribute album. Um, we're going to see a Ringo tribute concert before we are an Eddie one. Uh, it's the worst. It's funny because they also mentioned too that um when Roth was asked recently about tribute show, um he said, I was the one who named the band. Are you talking about a tribute to me? Well, I don't remember that. He's talked about how changing from Mammoth to Van Halen 
was his idea and the brothers didn't like the name Van Halen. It was it that's come up. But are you talking about tribute to name? Anyway, but he said uh, they mentioned the fact that Dave said you would need two of everything for Van Halen tribute. He mentioned Lukather and Satriani, Jason Newsted, yeah. Michael Anthony, Tommy Lee, and Alex Van Halen. And saying goes, they don't need two bass players. Michael is a better bass player today than he was in Van Halen. He's a good singer, if not better than he was in Van Halen, blah, blah, blah. And but that's that's exactly what you want a tribute to be. You just mentioned the 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 Taylor Hawkins tribute. I don't want I don't want three or four guys, two of them who used to be in Van Halen doing a bunch of songs. It's a tribute. You want a bunch of people there giving their takes on it, right? Yeah. And that brings more eyeballs to it. And I just think that would be really cool. And this article mentioned that Dave said he mentioned Pink is one of the possible singers. And I agree with Sam. He said, I love her. I bet she could crush his era of songs. She's got that husky voice. She's got the range and the power. And then he says she would erase him if she jumped up there and started singing that shit. I would love it. I would throw my hat in the ring with Pink any day. Ugh, anyway, enough of this. The Pink thing was a joke. <laughs> it just so happened that she came out for the Taylor Hawkins L.A. show and she was great. Everyone really liked it. But Roth was making a joke. It's just his humor is not in line with text. Most of what Roth says doesn't translate very well to text. And it could be easily misconstrued if you don't get sarcasm or you don't have a facial kind of connection or, or music. Let's face it. He's been misquoted a lot over the years because people didn't pick up on the, the vibe. So... I, I would love to see a rebuttal from him. That's not uh, another. No, I don't want to see any rebuttal. Silence is golden. And, well, at and, and, and at least it doesn't give me any more cringeworthy, oh shit moments, right? And and makes me wonder just what the hell am I doing in my life to spend this much time worrying about this stuff. Having said all that, it is certainly enjoyable and fun. But I just love the fact that he never gives any of this stuff any credence. It does put him up ahead of above it all until enough people start knocking him that's all his fault or he does say something ridiculously stupid that kind of steamrolls over everything else like um the thing with the guitar hey at least he didn't claim to sell over 40 million albums this is true all right let's put a pin let, let's put a nail in in let's uh, move on from that thing because i know you want to talk about something that you turned me on to really cool that i can't get enough enough of and that is the mojo dojo a david lee roth tribute channel on youtube yeah explain what this all is because this is a really cool and creative idea and it's new yeah relatively a couple of years old the title mojo dojo if you come up with that you clearly know about the no holds barbecue yes you do <laughs> right yeah. away there's your bona fides my friend <laughs> yeah i believe the person who does the videos on this channel the mojo dojo Ramses Rios, I believe that is his name. If it, if it's wrong, send the hate mail to uh, the DLRcast at Outlook.com and and just <laughs> or hit it, or hit us on the tw on the Twitter machine. But the animator Ramses um, takes audio from different things and stories that Dave has told. I believe these are from the YouTube show, the last incarnation he had on that, and then he animates them, and it really breathes new life into these stories because you could tell that the animator is a big fan of the decades of Roth. Like he didn't just lose this, lose the fandom from the 1984 stuff or just come on board in the last two years. 
there's big stuff there. And Van Halen News Desk had a recent feature on him, had a photo of him presenting a replica of Dave, one of Dave's vintage automobiles to him in Vegas in 2020. So then that leads to the question of, wait, how does Dave know about this if he doesn't use the internet? (laughs) (laughs) And, and what other content on YouTube is Dave aware of that (laughs) talks about him? Any, any casts about DLR that he may know about or may not Whatever it is, this is excellent work on this Mojo Dojo channel. And he's a big Dave and Van Halen fan. And if you haven't seen the cool feature on him at Van Halen News Desk, it's worth checking out. It seems like a super interesting character. And yeah, he launched in YouTube. He launched it uh, January 2018. So it's been a few years old. It wasn't on my radar very recently, until very recently. But it's a cool little interview here. And um, uh He's a young guy too, right? 90s kid. And he discovered David Lee Roth by uh, hearing Yankee Rose, was a Yankee Rose in, in Grand, uh, Grand Theft Auto. I love that. Yeah. And it really proves the point of what's going to take Van Halen into the future generations and keep it alive. Grand Theft Auto, this usage of Unchained in the latest season of Cobra Kai, mm-hmm. if they promoted that, the Taylor Hawkins tribute concerts, because the number of people that are going to see that long-term inevitably, I think that will be a proper DVD and it'll win a Grammy for best live set or something like that. These are the things that are going to keep Van Halen alive. If Van Halen's not going to keep itself alive or functional in a positive way, the, the Sammy Hagar article, I would really hate for that to be the last look that Van Halen gets. Cause yeah, it doesn't do you anyone know- favors. Getting back to this channel, he mentions in this interview at the Van Allen News Desk, he says, I've been doing, he that he said he did low-res sunset for Dave? Yes, correct. How cool is that? Which means that somebody on Team Roth went, you're great, we're going to hire you. Because nobody animates for free these days. Animation is a complex, time-consuming process unless you're outsourcing to korea you mail the thing and you get it five weeks later but well you know dave appreciates it we appreciate it we're on the same page there wonder what sammy thinks of it (laughs) Uh, i i invested in an animation company in the in mill valley and i wanted eddie to do animation and he said no what what's the Sammy Hagar music video where his backing band is robots? It's from that album where Eddie played bass. Where, the one with where eagles fly, where eagles dare. That was the album he owed on his solo contract after he joined Van Halen. I have that some somewhere. Um, I don't remember the song though, but yeah, I can pick visualize that. My friend, uh, as a joke, gave that to me. My friend Grog, a month or so ago when he visited. And I looked through the credits, and I didn't know Omar Akeem played drums on that record. And Omar was all over that Taylor Hawkins concert. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. That is quite the drummer to do Mariah Carey and Hagar and Journey and all that. But, Steve, uh, let's recap what we've learned today. Taylor Hawkins concerts, good. Good, absolutely. uh, Rolling Stone art interviews, bad. Puzzling. Mojo Dojo YouTube channel, good. Super cool. 
I'm 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 guilty of not knowing about this guy. And I, how many times have I seen the low res sunset video? So color me a little bit embarrassed here. The short the short little animations uh, from the soggy bottom. Remember when he was doing all those cartoons? Those are really cool, and they're 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 just these short little things. And uh, yeah, sorry. Nothing but yeah, as yeah. we say. So you know, next episode, hopefully there's new Dave music and a rebuttal from somebody who knows what they're talking about. That's that's my hope here. That's the checklist. Yeah, throw us another curveball, which would be a curveball after after consecutive Van Halen covers. Give us something else from the John Five sessions. Give us, I'll I'll take Baker Street, man. Give us that cover. Yeah. Hey, maybe Ram says can uh, animate a Baker Street video and pull that audio from or uh, Shine a Little Love by ELO. Pull it from the No Holds Barbecue. Maybe we need to crowd lead a crowdfunding campaign for that to happen. <laughs> and that'll light some activity. But uh, I'm 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 out of topics here. I, I I will continue to not hold my breath, but hope something new comes soon from some member of Van Halen at some point, and that we don't have to talk about the new album Crazy Times. I'm I'm hey as a rock fan. And a bit of a Sammy fan. I'm curious about it because it is going to be a rock record, not some sort of stylistically only a hard rock. And that there was one record where it was kind of it was, what he just did one that was sort of he did one in Nashville. I mean, it's he's yeah. he's taken some stylistic departures, which is fine, good for him. But I've been wanting to hear a rock record from him. I'm still hoping for another Chicken Foot record, but that's not going to happen. Right. Well, on on that note, thanks to anybody who gives us the time and energy this far into the show. Hope to have some news of some substantial, that's a tongue twister, notion in the near future. Steve, anything we're missing here before we give the people peace? I got nothing. (laughs) You got nothing, I got nothing. Thanks for listening, and thanks to you, Steve, for making today happen. Take care.